Back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me this week, Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. So, Myros, we've been we've been hitting the comedy pretty hard lately on the show, which is not a normal thing for us. And you know, we've done wholeness. We've got the episode today. We did Jerry Lewis. Is this finally the point where we're going to get around to season one of the Jeff Dunham show? Uh could happen. I mean, I. I, I traditionally find that my least favorite episodes of our show are, are the comedy ones, but, uh, so I, I feel like we're really treating our audience. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. We're like, man, what do we, what do we suck the most to talking about? Probably like comedy, especially British comedy, I'd say for me in particular. So we're like, why don't we just do a bunch of that? That makes the most sense. You know, we, we really think these things through. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the the wholeness episode turned out pretty well, but generally when we get into comedy stuff, I, I always feel like I'm just kind of like sputtering around like, yeah, it was funny. It's like, what mm. the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And that's the insight that people listen to the show for. Do you have a favorite Jeff Dunham puppet? I I guess I I I'm aware of that Bin Laden one. Yeah, nothing else really springs to mind. So I guess I'd have Believe to go you, with that. Uh, you talking about Ahmed the terrorist, the undead like, terrorist, uh, the undead oh, terrorist. Okay. Which, by the way, Dunham has gone on the record to say that uh, Ahmed the the terrorist, the undead terrorist, is not a Muslim. In case you're wondering, he is agnostic in his religion. So. Stop it's thinking that way. Stop strange wardrobe choices for old Ahmed, given that knowledge. <laughs> yeah, stop trying to cancel the most profitable American comedian in the world for a decade running, all right? It's just, just fucking quit it. What are you trying to take food out of his kids' mouths, his, his puppets' mouths? Probably. Also joining us today, Jake Chapila. Jake, how you doing? Doing well, Steve. And uh, to you and the listeners out there, I don't feel you should be in any danger of us doing a uh, Jeff Dunham episode anytime soon, because the problem with Jeff Dunham is that he's almost too funny. And I don't think uh, we could properly articulate what makes him so brilliant as a uh, comedian, a stand-up, and a uh, puppeteer. As he's touched so many hearts, all we can do is just accept that he's the greatest and find something else to discuss. Yeah, you know, that, that I, I almost picked one of his things for caustic content uh, when we had one of. I think it was for our animation special. There's there's some sort of cartoon version that's like Ahmed's wonderful life or something. And uh, oh I was wow, like, well, you know, maybe there could be something there. You know, it, this uh, this just shows how little you guys know about comedy because it's easy to poke fun at Jeff Dunham for for Ahmed the undead terrorist as his obvious, like, oh, look at look at the racist puppet, man. But what you're really underselling here is Jose the Jalapeno on a stick, which is like his OG racist puppet. And real Dunham heads know that's where the action is. So I would I would say you should educate yourself on these different puppets and and really try and and get into the mind of, of Jeff Dunham. 
Uh, the movie, by the way, is called Ahmed Saves America. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's fun. That's fun. Do you think he's got some good material that the puppets talk about? Like, you know, the, the old white guy puppet? Or like he's got a hillbilly well, that's, puppet that's, too. Well, that's Walter, and Walter's famous for also being just a horrible racist and misogynist. And oh. uh, you know, it's Jeff's not saying those things. It's Walter. Well, you know, Walter's this, yeah. this uh, filter for as you know the the crotchety old man who's uh, you know it's like oh grandpa, you just put your hands on your hips and dismiss what he says as nonsense. How long do you think it would take for me to Google a Jeff Dunham interview where he says that? Uh, comedy is about pushing the boundaries and he is an equal opportunist when it comes to insulting people and he insults the blacks and the Jews and the Asians and everybody else. You think I could find that in like less than 30 seconds? I'm, I'm sure you can. I'm curious to hear what Jeff Dunham's thoughts are on cancel culture. Let's see. Uh, so what's the name of this purple monkey looking thing? That's, uh, pe that's, that's peanut, I believe. That's peanut. Yeah. That's, Why that's do you guys know all this? <laughs> how do you not know about Peanut, He's, man? How do you know about Jeff Dunham, man? He's ubiquitous in the comedy world. Yeah, I've, I think I've probably seen like 10 minutes of a, of a show, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, there's an, there's an article in The Guardian where Jeff Dunham says that uh, he has become uh, more... <laughs> aware of the uh the criticism towards his insensitivity but does not give a shit <laughs> oh dunham we're, we're i mean that's just... he's gotta you gotta play that route at this point right i mean oh, if you said you did give a shit then you would you would alienate far more of your base than than if you he uh, would be just done. embraced it yeah he'd be done in a fucking second no if you because if I just Googled him to <laughs> prove my point, it's like, I'm creating a straw man that I've now made real. Uh, but yeah, like if, if you look at his, his latest material, he's, uh, he's got some real zingers, you know, he talks about uh, COVID and masks and, and the vaccine and the Canadian trucker freedom convoy. He knows, he knows who he's fucking getting all <laughs> juiced up. His new fucking needle puppet. I don't know. It's just, yeah. <laughs> It's a needle puppet. <laughs> the question is, Steve, uh, and, and I'm only posing this to you because Jake is from, you know, a, a far more normal uh, life situation than we are. Uh, how many Jeff Dunham DVDs uh, do, you, do you figure your parents own? Oh, they own at least two and they saw him. They they went to see him at, at uh, I think, like probably Pine the Nob. Soaring Eagle Casino. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's big, man. He's playing the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee next month, and that's that's where the Bucks play. It's like a fucking arena. <laughs> so he's and legitimately, he is. I think behind like probably Seinfeld and Chris Rock, he's the most profitable American comedian in the world. So uh, you can't. I mean, as big as it gets, baby. Who knew? Well, I, I I think Chappelle's in line to pass him now that Chappelle can also draw those crowds as well as his, his former yeah. crowds, perhaps. That's that's the only time my parents will get in a room with with black people now, as if Dave Chappelle's <laughs> doing stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't well, think of another reason why they would. I I can confirm there is also uh, multiple Jeff Dunham DVDs on uh, on my dad's uh, bookshelf there, so. <laughs> is it like a status symbol at this point? Because I don't think they actually watch it. It's just they're collecting dust so everybody knows it's their Dunham flex. I, I don't know. All I know is if you ever hear 
someone of that age in the Midwest say that a comedian is funny, then, you know, you just should never tune into that comedian. I think the hardest I've laughed in the last three months is I was bartending and there was an old person with, with a phone that clips to their belt. And mm -hmm. they, they had obviously sound on because if you're old, you got to have sound on vibration. No, thanks. And he can't feel the vibration through your little phone belt clip, but they were getting text messages and it was the, the, the Ahmed, the I'll, I'll kill you thing. <laughs> Every time he, get, he got like three texts in a row, it was just like, I'll kill you. It was great. <laughs> I was just like, damn, I don't understand these Dad, old people. Is that you? Are you back? <laughs> my dad's got this, this thing too. His phone is in shambles. It's like the shittiest smartphone you can get from thumb wireless, but it is a smartphone. And yet it is set up like, uh, like a phone would have been in like 2003 where he has gone through somehow. I, I have no idea how one even does such things this day and age, but he has gone through and set like custom tones for every text from every different person. Oh, and yeah. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Custom rings, custom text messages. That's it, man. That's all they do. They don't know how to like do anything on their phone other than figure out how to be extremely obnoxious in public. Uh, also, I was thinking like for, for Jeff Dunham for a while in Milwaukee, uh, there's a bunch of different venues where you had to show like vaccine stuff or whatever on your phone in order to get in. And they're not doing that anymore. But I was thinking for the Jeff Dunham show, just to make sure like, you know, the libs don't infiltrate. What, what if you had to show your cell phone and if you didn't have your text size set to extra large, they wouldn't let you through the door. <laughs> That's how you know. It's true. It's true. I, I guess I just, I got to give it to him because I would not have the first idea of how to set a, a like a custom ringtone beyond the defaults on a, on a no. modern smartphone. It's a no. grand mystery to me. I, that's, that's what the boomers do. They reverse engineer technology and they're like, wait, how do I open the app? And you're like, what are you talking about? How did you, you can't do that, but you can set like fucking Mima's ringtone to Cotton Eye Joe. Like, how did you figure that out? They're running no like a fucking like DOS box. <laughs> They're smart. <laughs> it's good. That's this is what happens when you when you get around to clicking all the banner ads. It unlo it unlocks the sacred knowledge <laughs> of the internet. Oh my god! All right. Well, believe it or not, we're not talking about Jeff Dunham today, unfortunately. But maybe maybe a Patreon episode for the future. I, I like roping Coleman into this. Like we just make him mainline a bunch of Jeff Dunham. <laughs> And then the twist is we didn't actually watch any. We just make him talk about it. Just, just <laughs> silently agree with everything he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. You're right. Wow, I feel the same way about Peanut. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe he said that about those people. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we're actually building off of our, our Matthew Holness episode from last week. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Richard Ayoade and his role in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and the kind of spinoff to that, which is man to man with Dean Lerner. And we're like, fuck it. We're already kind of in this world. Why don't we do Richard Ayoade? So here we are. And if you don't know who he was, he's the guy with the, the, the big hair and the glasses from the IT crowd. He was a gadget man. And then he was a travel man. And he also did man to man. So a lot of man shit. He's also the guy that you see who's really well-dressed and you can tell that he's probably smarter than you and also has a negative opinion of you, but he's not going to vocalize either of those things because he's too nice and British about it. 
Uh, he's also very, very funny. So, uh, yeah, we, we just kind of dove into his, his feature films as well as his uh, series Man to Man with Dean Lerner. And I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I think Man to Man with Dean Lerner, obviously, it came out in like 2006. That's probably, I think that was his first kind of solo venture, although it still has deep ties to Garth Marenghi and exists within that universe. Kind of a mixed bag. There's, it's, it's way less consistent than Garth Marenghi, but I would argue it probably has much higher highs, but lower lows. And you also have to kind of get back in the mindset of, uh, like audience applause tracks existing. Like you have to, <laughs> you yeah, have to once again would, embrace uh, that, which was difficult for me. Yeah, that's for sure. This would this would be better if they could just cut out the fucking like canned laugh track. But uh, yeah, the laugh track is, and the hardest thing is, is it, the laugh track is sort of counterintuitive to what you're watching because the laugh track is laughing at both the actual jokes that Dean Lerner or his guests are making, but the laugh track is then employed again when the characters are being serious and we're laughing as like the at-home audience, but in the universe of the show, there shouldn't be laughter, if that makes sense, which is why Garth Marenghi in part works so well because the characters are so buffoonish, but it's so fucking funny because they, they're so self-serious. So I, I don't know. I, I struggle with that a bit. Uh, I question our, our choices because obviously man to man is like the, the showcase for wholeness as an actor, <laughs> like more so than any of the other stuff we had covered in his actual episode. This is like, Oh yeah, the, we fucked that the Matt Holmes show. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, how many, there's six episodes of the show and how many does he appear in? Oh, he's the guest in every he's, episode. He's in all of them. Yeah. He's the, okay. It's basically say, yeah, he's six comedy bang six, bang, right? but with two people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and and don't don't forget the uh, the bartender in the background. Ah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is really a showcase for him because yeah, like you said, it's it's him kind of adopting different characters, and then the Dean Lerner character, who's a little bit muted, I think, in some respects compared to what he was doing in Garth Marenghi. But this is basically a wholeness joint at this point. Uh, yeah, you also for get sure. to see him wear some incredible. Uh, prosthetics as well, which is uh, which is lovely. Um, some things that continue to to haunt me. I can't get the image of him as a sci-fi character named Bot out of my head like that. <laughs> you mean that horrible, like fucking weird, uh, like I, I don't even know prosthetic chin thing. He looks like a combination of the of the villain from from Lazy Town, but fat and the character that Adrian Brody played in Giallo. <laughs> it looks just like a little nipple that he has on his chin. Yeah, I couldn't, it was like a nipple penis, which is good, because sometimes I'm thinking about that, I'm like, man, what would it be like if you made a nipple and a penis like one thing? And the answer is Matthew Holness's chin in episode three of Man to Man with Dean Lerner. Then he milks it, and then Matt Barry drinks it, and that's the <laughs> clip they yeah, show. That's, that's good, that's good. And it's probably like the least weird thing that happens in that episode, because if you want to get an idea for the tone, um, you know, wholeness plays this, it's almost an extension of, of the Garth Marenghi type of character of this sci-fi like bit part guy who 
is doing this, you know, fan con uh, round, and he's just, he's basically a nobody, but he thinks he's somebody. And uh, at one point, he spontaneously catches on fire and is burned horribly, and Dean Lerner is pissed off because he's not finishing the show, and he won't, like, do a a scene that they had rehearsed before. So yeah, it's, um, it's just, like, such an stuff. intensely elaborate thing. Like, that particular episode's like, uh, well, this <laughs> this would not get made today because it's very uh, odd and it's like a characterization of, of Glenn Nimron, who's like this sort of uh, character off the original track run, essentially, who who in this world has been like molested by like the Gene Roddenberry <laughs> analog and is very like sexually ambiguous and bizarre and. It's just like, well, this is probably insensitive, but uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's some stuff in it that is, uh, ah, mm. just the moment where he, he gets lit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets, when he gets lit on fire with that cigar, I, I don't, I just lost. <laughs> what the, I, as much as muted as Iowati is, I think he really kind of shines, and I think his, my favorite thing about him as a comic performer is, is when he gets mad at someone. Or just when he has a throwaway line that brings down the house, or at least in my opinion, like they'll show a clip of Glenn Nimron's show where he's sitting in a chair interviewing someone, and then another character that he's playing appears in the corner. And he takes out like his little phaser and starts zapping it, and it's it's like you know the obviously the worst effects you could ever see, and it's just <laughs> this long grating scene. And then when the clip ends, Dean Lerner says, and it remains for about that funny for 30 hours. <laughs> oh, the shit. intro to that bit, too, is amazing. That that might be one of my favorite uh, Iowati lines in the whole series is when, because that is actually Glenn Nimrod's audio book. And uh, he's like, uh, Iowati introduces it by saying, well, after reading your book, I thought it might be best appreciated by the illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's why we, we kind of pivoted away from writing at Optimism Vaccine, right? We only do podcasts now. It's, we're, we're better for illiterate people. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 the, I guess, like, the main thing about this show is it starts a little slow. Like, it almost reminds me of... Mm -hmm. Uh, some Heidecker stuff like on cinema like it's just like a very fleshed out and realized like universe <laughs> that these guys are working mm -hmm. in and you'll see that by the end of it but which is oddly, deranged too because yeah. you have to remember that uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place it, it it did gain some popularity on DVD but its initial run it I mean it ran for six episodes in 2004 and was canceled because nobody fucking watched it so then the this next series that Iowati does is a, a Dean Lerner show, so a spinoff <laughs> from a character from a failed show, which, in order to truly enjoy and appreciate many of the jokes contained within, it helps to have a working knowledge of the 2004 show that no one watched. So it's it's wonderful. Like you said, it's this beautifully realized universe that literally no one gave a fuck about at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, it does predate a lot of like hyper internet culture, which I think is recognized by, by wholeness as like a problem with 
Garth Marenghi is that it, yeah, it got popular on YouTube like well after the fact. But you know, when this is coming out, like you know, if Tim Heidecker's on cinema was you know beholden to television ratings, well, it wouldn't fucking exist. It would have been like four episodes and done. And instead, because of the internet and this sort of hyper specialized fandom, they could just make it indefinitely whenever the fuck they want to. And it's, uh, it's just a very different landscape, but it, this is, I, I could see how this would have trouble because again, like as, as odd as it is, like the Garth Marenghi episode, which kicks it off isn't, is not a particular highlight. And I think that the second episode with the like race car driver steve pissing which i'm like what is that a dick trickle joke <laughs> like um <laughs> it, it that also is is a bit on the dry side it's it's not it's the glenn nimron and on things really <laughs> fucking kick into gear especially the fourth episode which is this like folk singer named merriman weir that uh wholeness created out of nowhere i guess but it's just that episode's spectacular. <laughs> yeah, the the Merriman Rear guitar stuff is great just because it's these really loose, repetitive riffs that that like go through the comedy beat of being funny and then not funny because it goes on too long and then being funny again because it's just dragged out to such absurd lengths. And then he says, like, I wrote this uh, song for my friend while he was dying. And he just plays just a few bars and says, that's all I got, because then he died. <laughs> it's, it's, just like, it's just great. Yeah, all the fucking songs in it. I'm like, I wish this, I wish that they had gone to the, like, had enough success that he just, like, recorded this album. Because the Gallows Man thing is just fucking incredible. Like, the, the jackass music video. Oh, it's so good. And, uh, yeah, the, the whole notion that he... <laughs> He ends the episode by saying, well, I recorded Gallows Man, and the intent was that the listener would uh, just continue to listen to it until they killed themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the end song, he's just singing, die, 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 and it ends, it goes off air with him just yelling, kill yourself. <laughs> like, this is, this is fucking incredible. I just can't get enough of it. And that it just builds and builds from there like the the final episode is is something particularly special too I think. yeah with uh randolph care the the killer bitch actor or bitch killer <laughs> yeah the bitch killer <laughs> and the whole thing's just like basically about uh dean lerner richard iowati's character like systematically ruining this guy's life over the span of decades <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it really is a great little series, and it's a good kind of follow up to to Garth Marenghi. I, I don't think I would watch this in isolation because, again, I don't think you're going to get as much out of it. But it's it's almost like a good supplement, which is wonderful because even though there's no American DVD release of this, there is a UK DVD of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place where they have also tacked on Man to Man with Dean Lerner. So you can get you can get them both, and then you pretty much have a perfect day set aside for yourself. You just get some drinks, get some friends, sit down, and you've got a wonderful afternoon or evening of just incredibly stupid fucking comedy that is absolutely hilarious. So yeah, yeah. even you can watch all, both series and you'd be done within you know 
five hours, five, six hours at the most. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I didn't realize this had a DVD release because everything that's sourced online, and I, I've actually watched it in multiple places, they all have like the channel buffers on them where it's just like every episode ends with like, coming up next, my name is Earl. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> There's the, the peak of comedy right there. I'm glad that made it over to the UK. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sure that really resonated with them. Although, I guess if if you're in Europe, you probably think that like 87% of America is just my name is Earl, which, I mean, you wouldn't be that far off, but, (laughs) you know. Earl Um, probably has himself some Jeff Dunham DVDs. Oh, he for sure does. For sure does. So, it's kind of interesting because he goes from this to... A, kind of a bizarre pivot. He he ends up being the, the the gadget man in the show Gadget Man, which is another thing. You can find this. There's episodes all over fucking YouTube, and I think the whole series is probably streaming on Amazon. Uh, but he does Gadget Man and Travel Man, and they're very, very similar. The only real difference is Gadget Man is him trying to use all these, like, one-use superfluous gadgets to deal with very mundane banal situation so camping for instance it's like how do you make camping not the worst (laughs) because you have to be outside and in the wilderness so he just has like a gigantic oven (laughs) an outdoor oven and he's got a a tent that's this huge like fucking sealed bubble and an inflatable hot tub and a giant like pop-up movie theater screen and all this other shit and, uh, yeah, there's a drone that, that brings them things. And so it just kind of takes a regular situation and, and, and makes it absurd. And then Travel Man, uh, similarly, it's, it's your typical, like, you know, Rick Steves, PBS, pleated khaki pants type of travel show, except he goes for a weekend with a celebrity to a random European location. And it's wonderful because he's in these beautiful locales, and usually the celebrity person is very excited and his entire shtick is he shows as little enthusiasm for wonderful things as humanly possible. And it's, uh, it's just great because all the time in travel shows, you see people like, wow, this is the most beautiful life changing thing. And just to see him be like, eh, <laughs> it, it's good. It kind of, it, it, it just, it's, it's a similar formula, but just the change in attitude because of uh, Rich Dioati's screen presence it completely changes the setup. But outside of those kind of semi-comedic comedic ventures, he decided to make some serious business films, just like his buddy Matthew Holness. And while Holness kind of went for the, the horror route, uh, Iowati takes a little bit of a different approach. And in 2010, he gives us a little movie called Submarine. Uh, which I remember seeing when it first came out and being pretty enthusiastic about, and I've kind of cooled on it a little bit, but I still enjoy it. And I don't know. I it's, it's a movie that I feel like you've probably seen a thousand times. Tell me if this sounds familiar. A precocious shithead teen makes bad decisions. There's a good soundtrack. Sound familiar? There you go. Uh, but Iowati has a, has a little bit of a different spin on it, but... Uh, I'm curious how this one hit with you fellas, because I, I don't know. Do you, did you see this when it first came out like a decade ago? 
Yeah, I it, if at least within like the year later when it was out on home video, a buddy of mine and I rented it and we watched it. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it then because I was a fan of Ayoade's work. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I was really quite charmed by it then. I thought it was a great movie. And rewatching it now, I would agree. It's, you know, it, a lot of it is just because I've seen thousands of things between and a lot of its references are very evident. It feels very Wes Anderson-y at times. But um, I mm-hmm. think there's still a lot of charm to it, and the the cast is all is all great. They're all a lot of fun. Difficult to yeah. make a movie about kids and not have the kids be annoying, but I liked the two leads quite a bit this time around. Still, I, and I think that's kind of what what buoys it too. Is Ayoade? He's I mean he's clearly got a talent for this. It looks fantastic, and he's got a very clear vision, and he's a very smart guy. I just. I don't know if like everything in the story and, and, you know, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, of the cinematic storytelling really works for me, but go ahead, Mar. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, you're fine. I it's, it's on that, like the children of Rushmore sort of uh, list of films, but I mean, I, I guess you could go further back. I mean, they're all like 400 blows, but yeah. it's, we get it. You like the French new wave. I yeah I'm I I'm probably the least uh, enthusiastic about the French new wave of any optimism backseater but you know that's it's it's very like clearly there's this arty you know young boy coming of age film and this is one of those that I felt like fell through the cracks like at the time I was definitely a sucker for this sort of movie I mean I love Rushmore and uh, I love a lot of the movies that really exists in its shadow you know but stuff like i like rocket science that's another movie that comes to mind from from this similar time period where i was very fond of them at the time uh, uh this especially like I, I it was honestly one of my favorite films of, of 2010 uh but yeah it, it 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 does the more you see the the more it kind of lessens i i think especially as I'm much less the audience for a coming of age film uh, these days, but uh, it, it is a very well-made film, but it, it's far less unique than it might've felt to me at the mm-hmm. time. It, it's, it is, I, he's, he's a great director. I, I would say that this stylistically is pretty unimpeachable and uh, it's a very strong debut, uh, but it's a coming of age movie. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and it's also, I think the thing I struggle with now is like you said, after you've seen more of these things, his, the little tricks sort of become more, more evident and you're like, okay, but like, what's the point? What's the point to gesturing to something if, if you're not going to expand upon it. And I did get a lot more of that this time, you know, like they specifically call out that, uh, when he takes his girlfriend to the movies, he takes her to see uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, which I think is that is that what uh, Anna Karina watches in is it Viva Save or like it what, is yeah is it? Mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's like okay clear Godard reference and then uh, there's there's the, the scene on the beach kind of towards the end of the third act where it's it's basically ripped directly from uh, 400 blows and you're like oh yeah that thing and so there's all these gestures. Uh, specifically to Godard, there's, there's, I mean, he kind of references masculine, feminine, and made in USA, and uh, the aforementioned Beaver Save V. 
and and you see these things you catch these glimpses you go oh yeah that oh yeah that oh yeah that or there's like a hal Ashby moment you go like oh yeah that but then what comes from that <laughs> you know it's like did you just slip that in there so that people who have seen these french movies can nod and go hmm there it is i see it or, or is there and are you, are you trying to tell me something more and i don't know if he knows or if it's just you know, a little Easter egg he put in there for us or what, but it, while it may have been charming for me 10 years ago, it was kind of like, okay, I get it. But at the same time, it, you know, the, the movie does look great and it speaks to a very specific type of shithead kid that I'm more interested in because, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the, oh, I make references to pop culture type of shithead kid. This is the, like, I'm hyper pretentious. I just handed a girl a copy of King Lear and told her to read it. And it's, it's fun to see that kind of shithead. I, I enjoy watching that kind of shithead. And it does get to this essential truth of whether you're a shithead teen or not, when you're that age, there's things that you want and things that, you, you know, you, you would like to experience, but you just have no, like, real reference points you don't know how to function so there's a really wonderful moment in submarine where he is invited over to his girlfriend's house for dinner and it's around christmas and her mom is dying of cancer and her dad just kind of like breaks down at the dinner table and starts sobbing because his wife is is dying this is probably her last christmas and so the daughter and the mom and him are all like hugging and crying together <laughs> And our, our uh, little precocious main character is just sitting there at the dinner table, just continuing to eat because he doesn't know what the fuck to do. And so th there's something just kind of compelling and, and darkly comedic and, and fun, if you could say that's fun, about this movie. So even if it is a little bit empty, that's not to say that there's there's not something really good there, you know? Yeah, I I... Agree. I don't even know. I mean, you could call some of the style empty, uh, but that being said, you know, if you listen to Iwadi on the film, he, he his intent was to make the movie that the main character would, would make of this material. And mm -hmm. that does ring true in many ways. Uh, and there is an authenticity to this film. The scene you just mentioned and what follows it where he basically kind of paralyzed by the situation and, and just does not meet up with her at the hospital and just kind of sits around doing nothing with his depressed father. And it all, it, it feels authentic. There's, it does not yeah. feel manufactured. And that is something a lot of these movies miss. They, a lot of them feel horribly overwritten in a way that this tends to not to me. But, um, I also, it's less to me that it's empty and more that it's it's just something that you've probably seen before but if you're you know a lot of people love this type of movie hell i it's a it's not a movie that i have any trouble sitting down and watching and enjoying as jaded as i might be in my old age but uh it's still a really lovely film and if you're into coming of age films which many people are obviously it's a it's a timeless sort of format but uh this is a really good one you yeah. will if you will like, like 22 and and like moderately annoying but still okay this is going to be your favorite movie yeah yeah i'd say <laughs> this uh, oh go ahead oh yeah no i was gonna say i just don't get why it didn't uh 
Like, why is this so forgotten? Because there's uh, so many similar movies, you know, like something like Bombbox Squid and the Whale or something. Like, give me this any day, please. <laughs> but, you know, if this if this had a kid jerk it off and smearing his jizz all over the place, <laughs> then maybe it'd be bigger. But it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. That's I overall. That's my biggest problem. I guess you could call it is that is the material itself is just too familiar. Um, you know, there's a, a, coming of age movies are a dime a dozen, but um, this one I think has the benefit of uh, of some style and just also really good performances throughout. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, you know, I I I don't dislike much about it. It's it's uh it's a it's a good little movie, and um, I uh, this and the next one we'll be discussing just kind of makes me wish that. Richard Iowati continue to make films and you know expand his voice and what he could do but yeah it's uh it's I I, I like Submarine I like it uh quite a quite a bit yeah, yeah it does make me wonder what our guy's doing right now too because I mean I, I've seen him on the what's what's the BBC quiz show thing he's on the big fat quiz of the year that it plays on Christmas or the day after every year and uh which is he's, fucking fantastic by the way it is entirely too long it's like you're going to be like, how is this it's three It's feature hours? length, yeah. But <laughs> but it's great. It's really good. And Iowati's a frequent panelist on it. I think he's basically been on every year or so for the last 10, 12 years. But yeah, he's he's just fantastic at the put down on that show. I, I, I can't get enough of it. He's often paired with Noel Fielding of br- great British Bake Off fame, and they are a hoot together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's really good. Just really fucking good. But it just seems like he's kind of... He's leaning into a lot of acting right now. He doesn't have any, you know, films in the work and stuff. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of a bummer because. Um, well, I'd he's, say it's he's, a bummer because I don't think it's his uh, choice. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. A, a yeah. lot of, he's always, again, and you can only go by what you read. Uh, but his in interviews, especially around the time of the double, it was, there was this sort of trepidation, like you never know when you'll get to make another movie or if you'll get to make another movie. And, you know, he explicitly stated his preference was he thought he had far more aptitude for directing and enjoyed it more. But, uh, obviously it's just, uh, you, that opportunity hasn't come to pass again, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it really is. It's, it's kind of a bummer because outside of his acting work, which He's very funny. I'm not going to deny him that. Uh, I'm also not going to tell you to like go out and like rent the watch or something, but <laughs> I, I will say, you know, outside of his acting, that's, that's where I think he feels like he can really kind of like flex his muscles creatively and, and kind of do different things. And I haven't read any of his books, but it, reading the descriptions of the books, particularly the negative reviews of them are hilarious because he seems to have written several like feature length books where he takes on the role of either a shithead film director or pretends to be a shithead film critic and then just writes entire books like 300 page books from that perspective and that's the kind of creativity that i wish i could i could get out of him but you know i'll take what i can get at least he's on the quiz show well it it is even a little more bizarre to me than wholeness because with wholeness like you get the sense that he's a bit 
standoffish kind of a an introvert like he's not part of this sort of comedy scene anymore really he's kind of withdrawn himself it seems like and uh you could kind of get this like oh i could see why you know maybe it's difficult for him to get a project off the ground he's probably not like out there hobnobbing but Iwadi seems to be like one of the most beloved people in that comedy scene everyone who works with him mm-hmm. loves him and it's just like you considering his popularity in the uk over the years and the fact that he's just like a beloved figure then you would you would think he'd be able to get something done but apparently it's it's more complicated than all of that yeah yeah although he did get a follow-up to submarine he did give us uh the double which is based on the dostoevsky story and uh, definitely is is indebted to, to Terry Gilliam, maybe a little bit more than the French New Wave, I'd say, this time around. And this mm-hmm. one, I it's funny because I didn't even know this movie existed, to be completely honest. And that's coming from someone who, two years or three years before The Double was released, I really enjoyed Submarine. I had no fucking clue this existed. And so, first time watching it, this is great. I think... You can actually watch his growth as a, as a filmmaker and just the style and the confidence and, and how tight this movie is. It's kind of unreal, honestly. And once again, pisses me off that he hasn't been able to make another movie. And it's also perfectly cast because he reuses a bunch of the, you know, little character actors that he had from Submarine, reuses them perfectly. And then he also cast Jesse Eisenberg, who, for my money, if you're going to have someone play both an overconfident asshole and someone who is reserved and shy and blends into the background, he can do both of those things wonderfully. And that is Jesse Eisenberg's greatest fucking gift, is he can be just 50 shades of dickhead. And it's, it's wonderful watching him. And it actually reminds me of this... Uh, this interview that he did a few years back. Shit, I gotta find it now. But basically, he's talking to this this interviewer, and he's like, "Well, you know, what's it like living in New York?" He's just like, "Well, I like to ride my bicycle, and every day I ride my bicycle. But there's a child named Ahmed who is walking to school every day when I ride my bike along my route." And every day he calls me Napoleon Dynamite and him and his friends laugh at me. <laughs> and the interviewer goes, well, what do you, what do you say? Do you say anything to him? Do you just keep riding? <laughs> and Jesse Eisenberg's response is, says, and every day I tell him, Ahmed, I am not that man. <laughs> Which is just like the best response humanly possible. Just completely detached fucking weirdo goober. And the double plays into that. So Iowati, at the very least, if he's not making films, I want him to cast films because it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, I, I guess much like something like Possum, this I could see this being a bit of a a problematic release for someone who wants to, to continue uh, making films. Like, I, I like this movie a lot. I... It's not new to me. I did see it somewhere around the time when it released. I actually had it shortlisted for our then-existing podcast, <laughs> Shotgun Wedding. 
Um, but I didn't love it then, and I could see that being kind of a standard audience reaction. Like that, this is uh, this is a far less accessible film. I'd say uh, I think it's a better film, uh, but it, it's it's kind of a tough nut to crack. It's a bizarre thing. Um, yeah, I I I don't think this is is probably especially. I mean, this was like the height of Eisenberg too. So you, it's just tough though. I mean, what is this? Like nobody, the average theater goer does not want to fucking get into Dostoevsky. Uh, rest assured. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I do like his interpretation of Dostoevsky though, because he, he didn't go for a period piece. He went for like, uh, like a, a weird, like dystopian futuristic, but not the future type of thing like an alternative present basically um that that plays into all the same themes that Dostoevsky was touching on and it works perfectly and it it does have this Terry Gilliam-esque kind of Brazil look to it where it, it looks at the the typical office drone and it kind of throws a a, a, a perverse lens on it and distorts it and really emphasizes all the the fucked up parts of working in an office and just trying to do your job uh but no one gives a shit so it, yeah it's <laughs> but ultimately it's about oh like why don't you fucking kill yourself that's basically <laughs> the message the movie sends home which i could see that not exactly resonating with the average the average cinema goer so it, it kind of makes sense it's not how much this movie parallels fucking fight club <laughs> It's like on a base, yeah. most spare narrative level. If you look at it in the macro, you're like, eh, it's kind of got the same ending. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I would also say if you are interested in like continuing an upward directorial trajectory, Jesse Eisenberg in 2013, mm. primo, good move. Maybe saying, hey, I just got a script from Harmony Kareen's brother. <laughs> this is what's going to elevate me into the stratosphere probably not which that and that's not even a knock on it because i think the script is fucking brilliant and it's this is a great movie all around i'm just saying he i i, I can't imagine harmony kareen's brother is the guy that's gonna really move you up the ladder but again good for richard Iotti for only making shit that he wants to make and uh yeah this is it's just it's just a great movie all around not gonna make you feel good but uh it's it's rare that I get to watch a dystopian film that doesn't feel stale or overdone and it's not too terribly convoluted. And it's also has moments where it's darkly funny, but not in the way that that critics or you know your average letterbox reviewer calls something a dark comedy, which usually means it's mostly sad and serious, but there's two jokes. Like, there's some genuinely funny shit in this. Just seeing Jesse Eisenberg sitting with a beautiful woman in a restaurant where, uh, for no reason at all, there's just like a giant wooden carved gorilla between them. That's, that is the essence of comedy for me. <laughs> in a, so I was well aware of this movie when it came out in 2013. I saw billboards and trailers all over the place. I never saw it, and I actually was just checking my own calendar I watched this again last night uh, for this podcast, but 
previously I saw it one year to the date exactly from when I watched it last night. So for the first time. So uh, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it was it was weird to watch it on the anniversary that I had since watched it for the first time. But I think this movie's great. Um, I was really kind of bowled over from the opening, uh, just being on that train, and there's that shot of uh, Mia Vasikovska kind of you know swaying back and forth. Um, but yeah, the way that Richard Iwade commands like the frame, and he's just so precise and exact in his use of light and shadow is really frequently stunning and gorgeous and then like jesse eisenberg is perfectly cast as both an asshole and a doormat and i was just kind of looking through some history on line and this is the same year that now you see me came out and he got flack for doing an interview where he was insulting this interviewer because she asked him to do a magic trick on camera and he told her <laughs> no um and this is also the same year as Denis Villeneuve's Enemy, which mm-hmm. features a double of Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, on the screen. But um, I think uh, so. Maybe there was some familiarity then, and that's why I didn't venture out to see this. But uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a movie. I mean, yeah, you could sit down and write your own interpretation, but just revisiting it, I just really enjoyed the ride, and uh, it's a it's a cool little movie. And again, made me wish Iowate still made these kinds of films. Yeah, yeah, mm. I I think that Enemy is another like I think that might have been why I was thinking about it for Shotgun Wedding at the time was because those movies both came out in quick succession, and I was like, ah, oh, we could we could do some sort of a double thing, but um, yeah, it is. It's just a very bizarre movie. I I actually at the time was was pretty lukewarm on it, but watching it now. Yeah, there's something going on here for sure, and it, it, it it's got a really like German expressionist sort of feel to it to me. But uh in uh, again, and you want to make something accessible, that's probably not the quickest route. But it it's just a movie that uh, I think it feels pretty vital now but it also is it's just something that i i can't imagine many people would go in for it's 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 got a very stilted bizarre tone and it's it's pretty beautiful but it's it's not going to be for everyone i i think you'd have to be in a specific mood to deal with with a double or or it can be the sort of movie that grates on your nerves but um I don't know. I, I guess I was in the right frame of mind the other day because I really did quite enjoy it. I, it doesn't hurt that I'm a gigantic. I, don't know. Uh, I, I think anyone who has worked a boring office job where you feel completely invisible and you, you know, you, you just feel like you could be replaced at any moment by someone who's dumb, but more charismatic. And then you go home and want to fucking throw yourself off the roof. And uh, I, I'm willing to bet that's about 80% of our audience. I think this will this will fucking hit for you. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I, I again, if you're if you do like uh, Gilliam, then yeah. it, 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 that's a good entry point. Like this has obviously a lot of DNA with with Brazil, and mm-hmm. I do love that film. So I would say this movie is for anyone, unless you're happy and confident and hate Terry Gilliam, then you'll probably think it's fucking stupid. But fuck well, you. I mean, everyone hates Terry Gilliam now, right? Yeah. You guys want to watch Tideland? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I, I don't even remember what he should... did, but he did something. You know, people hate him now. I mean, other than 
the fact that he's made like six terrible movies in a row, but I, I think people just personally hate him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we should watch, uh, we'll watch now you see me and then we'll watch all of Chris Angel mind freak and we'll call the episode. Now we watched it and then it'll be our magic episode. Just you know, a little inside baseball here, but just throwing that out for you guys just as an option. Mars, you, do you fuck with the mind freak, man? Uh, no, I, I too much. Uh, <laughs> too much. Do, eyeliner. Do I, I feel like, you know, I, I respect the eyeliner. And I also like that. He opened up a fucking insane restaurant. Do you know about his restaurant? No, I, I why the fuck would I know about his restaurant? Because it's fucking insane. No one should know about Chris Angel's fucking restaurant, except for the fact that it's, are you ready for this? It's called Cabalp. Cabalp. <laughs> C-A-B-L-P. <laughs> so it's called, which stands for Chris Angel's breakfast, lunch, and pizza. <laughs> Just completely fucking insane. Wow. Uh, although, while I respect him for calling a restaurant that, like a shitty, like, Applebee's-level restaurant, I fucking hate him because, again, I had a bartender Chris Angel show one time, and Chris Angel, uh, being a, the man of the people that he is, he was like, okay, so I'm going to stay after the show and sign autographs. And if you are some, like, fucked up weirdo who lives in Milwaukee and just paid $60 to see Chris Angel Mind Freak in 2021 or whatever, like, you're going to stay after and get your autograph. You're obsessed with the man. And he refused to leave until he got to meet everyone. And it wasn't just, like, a handshake and a photograph. He, like, was having conversations with these people. So uh, pretty much, like, half the bartenders just had to stay there until almost like two in the morning because of Chris Angel fucking mind freak. Just three hours of extra time, not making any money because he had to, you know, shake the hand of Ruth from West Dallas, Wisconsin, age 55. <laughs> Who liked that one time when he walked up the side of the, of the, of the fucking Flamingo hotel in Vegas. I, it's deranged. But uh, shout out to Chris Angel's restaurant, breakfast, lunch, and pizza, the three best meals, I would say. Uh, Anyways. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, by, the, uh, by the way, uh, Terry Gilliam appears to, to claim that he's, his show, like some play he was putting on, was canceled because uh, cancel culture oh. objected to his uh, recommendation of Dave Chappelle. We're right back where oh, we started. Boom. I gotta say, like, if you have more money than me, and or there's good Google results that show up when people Google you, you're not canceled, unfortunately. That's just that's just how it is. Sorry, doesn't work that way. Terry Gilliam, like what what are you fucking canceled from your your high fucking tower? I think he canceled himself when he made a string of like nine shit movies in a row. I mean, uh, someone should cancel him. He, he should fucking enjoy his retirement for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just go out. Like, remember with the good when you work were a, a beloved auteur. <laughs> imagine being that again wouldn't that be great for you yeah apparently not well, all right well uh yeah i i would say listen richard iowati if you haven't seen man to man go watch yourself some man to man submarine and the double both worth visiting or revisiting if you haven't yet this is this is good shit i know we promised you comedy this week we gave you one third comedy two thirds maybe not so much but a little bit of comedy in there so Whatever. Close enough. Anyways, Jake, what are you putting over this week? 
Uh, I'm going to put over the end credits song to the double. It's a song called The Sun by Kim Jung-mi. It's a very good song. Uh, check it out. I, I would agree. It's, it's a very good song, very good soundtrack. And, of course, Richard Ayoade, who is like the ultimate expensive shoe, skinny tie, hipster-looking motherfucker. And that's coming from a place of jealousy because he, he's really a, a sharp-dressed man. Of course, he would choose like obscure Japanese 60s pop group to be the the closing credits song for his movie. But it's it's fantastic. So I'll second that. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Yeah, we should have uh, highlighted Andrew Hewitt, by the way, who it does all the music. He, he scored both of Iwati's films as well as did like the theme from Garth Marenghi and yeah. Uh, fucking fantastic. Especially the score for the double is incredible. Um, mm, yeah, good stuff. But yeah, no, I'm, I have been, you know, I'm not watching a ton. I, yeah, I'll tell you what I have been doing is, is I picked up the, I restarted cyberpunk 2077 with this new next gen update. And, uh, it's still a, a doofy fucking <laughs> slap shot game, but, uh, I'll tell you, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, as long as you're not expecting the moon and you're just like cool with it being a dumb fuck thing, then uh, let me tell you, it's a, it's a good dumb fuck time. Yeah, I, I think the lesson from the last five to ten years of, of video games should be, don't promise the moon, promise me a dumb fun time. And I think a lot of developers would be better off. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, this week... I'm putting over, there's there's a new Tears for Fears album. Did you know that? Came out on Friday, the 24th, and it's it's called The Tipping Point, and it's pretty damn good. And there's a single from that album called The Tipping Point. So go listen to the titular single, because, I mean, that's probably the best track in the album, if we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, and in addition to that, you can expect a new Tears for Fears uh, discourse in the big chair episode from myself and Stephen Coleman sometime in the very near future. So... You could look for that, unless you don't give a shit, and every time one of those episodes pops up on your feed, you're like, God damn it, why the fuck is this here? Uh, in which case, you're, I guess you're going to be really disappointed, but whatever, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Anyways, if you enjoyed the, <laughs> the podcast this week, uh, there's a link in the description that'll take you to our Patreon, and you can give us money. How cool would that be for you? To give us money, and we would really appreciate it. What do you get from this transaction? Well, you get a bunch of exclusive podcast and... Uh, written content that you can only get on Patreon, including a brand new Patreon exclusive episode on the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, uh, which, uh, spoiler alert, Jake says was his favorite film so far of 2022, and he cannot imagine anything taking the throne away. Best picture next year at the Oscars. Isn't that right, Jake? Next best picture. You got it. That's right. That's right. Shout out Matt Negley, a number one fan. Okay, so yeah... You know, you can give us money and you get you get content, you get free, free shit, free shit. And you get free physical media too. How about that? If you give us any amount on our Patreon, whether it's two dollars or twenty-two dollars, I will send you in the mail, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Is it a VHS tape, a laser disc, a DVD, a Blu-ray, a box set? You have no idea, but you're gonna get something in the mail. So uh, and this applies to the continental United States. Please, for the love of God, don't make me send anything to Siberia. I, I don't got that kind of fucking money. 
And uh, yeah, so you can do that. Uh, you could also email us, optimismvaccine@gmail.com, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals. Or you can tweet at us, at Optimism Vaccine, and maybe we'd love to hear from you. I don't know. It depends on what you have to say. And that pretty much, uh, I think that that's everything, right? So, Jake, last word's yours. You're a fucking toilet. <laughs> <laughs>